Section 13 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 18. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Aidan Fitzgerald. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 18. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 13. Passing Away, Passing Away. Verily, we all do fade as a leaf. One generation passeth away, another generation cometh. Man cometh forth like a flower, and is cut down. He fleeth as a shadow, and continueth not. Thou prevailest forever against him, and he passeth. Thou changest his countenance, and he sendest him away. These passages were brought to mind with striking and peculiar force a few days since. When stepping into a reading room and glancing at one of the dailies, I, I beheld the leading editorial column filled with obituary notices of three New England men of note and distinction, two of whom were my personal acquaintances, and the fame of the other made him the cherished acquaintance of all his countrymen. This last was the first on the list. It was Alston. Washington Alston, the painter and the poet. He died at Cambridge, Massachusetts, in the 64th year of his age. He was a native of South Carolina, was educated at Cambridge, afterwards spent some years in Europe, and on his return to his country, he settled at Cambridge, where he resided till his decease. He was twice married, First to a sister of the late Dr. Channing. His second wife, now his widow, is a sister of Richard H. Donna, Esquire of Boston. While Mr. Alston was in London many years ago, he published a small volume of poems, which gave him an honorable rank as a poet. And about a year ago, he published a thrilling tale entitled Monaldi, which proved him to be a prose writer of great power. It is his pencil, however, more than his pen, that has given him a high reputation, and will carry his name a long way down the stream of time, side by side with West and other masters of the art. His great work was still on his hands at the time of his decease, and it is feared has been left unfinished. The subject is Belzar's Feast. The artist had been engaged upon it something like twenty years. And during all that time, it is said, no person but himself has ever seen it. The second obituary which met my eye in the same column was that of John Holmes of Maine, for many years a senator in the Congress of the United States, and at the time of his death, United States District Attorney for the State of Maine. Mr. Holmes died at Portland, aged 71. He acquired a sudden and mind-spread reputation through the country during the late war with England. He was a representative in the legislature of Massachusetts from Alfred in the province of Maine. When party spirit at the time in the old Bay State ran so high against the measures of the general government as to make it totter to its foundation, John Holmes, an unknown lawyer from Alfred, rose up in their legislature in the midst of the opposition, like a straw man armed and poured upon them such a torrent of sarcasm and keen inventive as in some measure to check their operations and to help strengthen the arm of the government. 
His speeches on that occasion were felt almost like electricity through the country. They were everywhere, copied and read, and were the general topic of conversation. Not that they were so very remarkable for what they actually contained, as they were for the circumstances which elicited them, and the peculiar position in which the orator showed himself to the country. Soon after the war, Mr. Holmes took an active part in the measures to separate Maine from Massachusetts. He was a leading member in the conventions of the people on the subject, and a leading member of the convention, which after the separation formed the state constitution, and it was with his pen more than any other which gave shape to that instrument. Mr. Holmes was twice married. His second wife was the daughter of General Knox, of revolutionary memory, and for several of his last years he was resided at the old Knox Mansion House, a beautiful estate in Thompson, near the mouth of the Penobscot Bay. Glancing along down the same column of the same daily, the eye fell upon the third obituary. It was that of John Abbott, late professor of languages at Bowdoin College, Brunswick, Maine. He died at Andover, Massachusetts, aged 84. Uncle Johnny, as the students ever called him. Good old man. Is he gone? He was one of the fathers of the college, and the college was his beloved, his only child, upon which he bestowed his largest sympathies, and over whose welfare he watched until his dying day, with all a parent's fondness. The good old man had never any other family. He was the first professor of languages in the institution, and when from age and ability he was compelled to resign that office, he still acted as treasurer of the college for many years. The notice of his death which met our view called him a gentleman of the old school. He was indeed so, and one of the most favorable specimens. Gentlemanly, courteous, and benevolent. He possessed too kind a heart to rule the wild spirits of young college students, and oftentimes have our sympathies been pained at witnessing the quiet meekness and unsuspecting good nature with which he bore the roguish tricks put upon him. Many long years have passed since those days, but still, methinks, I can see the blending of modesty and dignity that rested upon his features as he tripped quietly into the recitation room, with a surtout buttoned to the throat, and taking his seat in the corner, and throwing one knee mechanically over the other, showing his knee buckles and silk hose to good advantage, he would cast a benevolent look around upon the class, and commence with a slight stammer, Smith Constru. And then he was so kind if any of us got screwed in our recitations. He never failed to help us out of the difficulty in the most benevolent manner possible. Good old man. We little thought so long ago that he would continue with us until this present, for even then old age was creeping fast and heavily upon him. And a crook was in back and a melancholy crack in his laugh. But he was permitted to live to a good old age, and now is gathered like a shock of corn fully ripe, to sleep with his fathers. He was a life of usefulness, patriotism, and virtue. He did service in the Revolutionary War and made one of the army that captured Burgoyne. Peace be 
to his memory. Good friends and kind patrons, we have much to thank you for. True, we have encountered some storms, and have met some dishonest foes. But we've had good cheer for one, and plenty of shot for the other. Some shot have struck below the waistline. A fair wind now, though, and a flowing sheet. End of section 13. End of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 18. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie.